Volume 2, Chapter 6 of The Mummy, A Tale of the Twenty-Second Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mummy, A Tale of the Twenty-Second Century, by Jane Loudon. The day of the election now rapidly approached. The Duke, Sir Ambrose, the rival candidates, and the opposition lords were all in London. The deputies were also assembled, and though it was forbidden to declare publicly for whom they intended to vote till the decisive moment arrived, yet the popular feeling seemed so strongly in favor of Rosabella that there appeared scarcely a chance for her rival. Exulting in her expected triumph, and confident of success, Rosabella sate in the splendid boudoir allotted to her use in Lord Gustavus's house, musing on her hoped-for grandeur. A large mirror was opposite to her, and as Rosabella saw her own fine figure reflected in it, joy sparkled in her eyes, and her mind wandered, enraptured through scenes of future glory. Thus completely absorbed in pleasing meditations, Rosabella was not aware that Cheops stood before her, till she heard his full, deep-toned voice repeating her name. "'Rosabella!' said he. "'Rosabella! Queen of England! Hail!' "'Cheops!' exclaimed she. "'Hail to the Queen of England!' resumed he. No longer need you stoop to solicit suffrages. Your fate is sealed. Think you that I am quite safe? asked the princess, her eyes sparkling and her cheeks glowing. Certainly, there can be no doubt. Then I may bid defiance to these wretches, and need no longer submit to their capricious, or be subservient to their humours. "'Not unless you like it.' "'Like it!' exclaimed Rosabella, her eyes flashing fire. "'Can you suppose I like to practice meanness?' "'Policy indeed recommends a contrary course,' continued the mummy. "'As if you do not assert your own independence, they will encroach upon your condescension and treat you as a slave.' Rosabella bit her lips and her bosom swelled with indignation. The mummy took no notice of her agitation, but went on, Let them not bind you by any promises. Prove yourself a free and independent sovereign. Trample upon them, and they will crouch at your feet. But crouch to them, and they will trample upon you. I— You say right, said Rosabella proudly and my would-be masters shall soon find their error they think weakness has made me submit to their arrogance but they shall see their folly the influence the mummy exercised over the minds of all those he came in contact with was astonishing and in pursuance of his advice rosabella from this moment resumed her usual imperious manner and received the compliments paid to her with the air rather of an empress long seated upon the throne than that 
of an aspiring candidate for regal honours dependent only on the favour of the people and this excessive confidence displeased the deputies she hardly leaves us a choice said they for she seems to command us to choose her notwithstanding the strength of her party and the weakness of her rival we don't think she should take the thing quite in her own hands the old queen ordered that the people should choose her successor but this princess seems to have chosen herself it is very kind of her to wish to save us the trouble but with her good leave we think we might have managed to go through it without her help these murmurs however though deep were not loud the party of rosabella being too firmly established for any one to dare openly to oppose it the opposition lords had all returned to town and though they had not completely succeeded in the object of their journey to the country they had at least satisfied themselves and by the activity they had displayed given themselves as they imagined a just title to the gratitude of their future queen in the meantime the friends of elvira almost despaired few persons of note declared themselves her advocates and though the favourable impression she had made upon the deputies still faintly operated the feeling was fast fading away an invincible repugnance to appear as the leader of a party oppressed her and she shrank from the public gaze with a sensation little short of horror lord edmund however still remained her firm and almost her only friend yet though he exerted every nerve on her behalf even he despaired of obtaining her election sometimes indeed as he gazed upon her beauty a selfish feeling crept over his soul and he could scarcely repress an emotion of joy for the very qualities that impeded her success only endeared her yet more fondly to his heart though the next instant his nobler feelings would reproach this selfish joy and with a kind of penitential sorrow he would strive by fresh efforts to destroy the hopes for the gratification of which his very soul panted i presume said lord gustavus de montfort to rosabella the day before that appointed for the election your highness does not intend to make lord maysworth a minister as well as a general for thinking as i think and as i am confident every one else must think or at least ought to think i feel assured he has no talents for the cabinet as queen of england my lord returned rosabella proudly i will not be dictated to though i will do my best to choose such ministers as may in my judgment be most likely to promote the welfare of my country lord gustavus was thunderstruck and he gazed after her as she retired with mingled feelings of astonishment and indignation you are not queen of england yet however he said to himself and it is possible you never may be what pride what haughtiness if i had been a slave she could not have shown more contempt when i am queen of england said she i will not be dictated to queen of england said she <laughs> thinking as i think 
and as I am sure every one else must think, or at least ought to think, it is possible that it is a contingency which may never arrive. <laughs> I will not be dictated to. <laughs> well, certainly, I must confess, I never heard a more dignified will no in my life. It was the hour when Lord Gustavus was accustomed to hold a kind of levy where the partisans of the princess had been in the habit of assembling under the guise of casual visitors, and, as he thus cogitated, Lord Maysworth and Dr. Hardman were announced. "'My dear Lord Gustavus,' cried the former, "'you cannot imagine how impatient I feel to have to-morrow over.' The uniform of the household troops is horrible. I have determined to change it the very instant I am appointed commander-in-chief. If you should obtain that situation, replied Lord Gustavus doubtingly. What do you mean? asked his friend in astonishment. I thought the means we had taken must infallibly ensure success. They must ensure the election of Rosabella replied lord gustavus and is not that all we wish not quite returned lord gustavus dryly i do not understand you said lord maysworth what can you mean demanded dr hardman i mean replied lord gustavus in his usual cold precise manner that thinking as i think and as i am sure every one else must think or at least ought to think from the conversation that has just taken place between the princess and myself i am convinced that our possession of the places she has promised to us is by no means the necessary consequence of her ascension to the throne oh cried his auditors looking perfectly aghast a farther explanation confirmed their fear i could not have believed it exclaimed both and as the partisans of rosabella continued to arrive they were successively apprised of and paralyzed by the appalling news standing their professed disinterestedness there was not one whose sentiments remained unchanged by the intelligence in the meantime rosabella in the solitude of her own chamber became aware of the imprudence she had committed though she brooded in secret over her uneasiness, and felt too proud to avow it even to Marianne, whilst that faithful confidant, quite unsuspicious of the error of her mistress, exulted in her expected triumph with as much transport as though it had been her own. "'Tomorrow,' said she, "'I shall have to do homage to my queen.' and i shall have the rapture of seeing crowds kneel humbly at her feet oh would the happy day were come how tedious will seem this long long night how wearisome will be the hours does not your heart also throb my princess to-morrow i shall say my queen to-morrow oh would it were to-day the important day at last arrived and the delegates, assembled in Blackheath Square, awaited with impatience the arrival of the princesses. Each was to deliver a speech, after which a nobleman was to be permitted to address the mob on her behalf, and then the majority of votes was to decide. 
the rival princesses appeared and were hailed with enthusiasm they were dressed with the utmost simplicity in the purest white whilst from their heads hung long veils of gossamer web the ample folds of which effectually shielded their persons from observation they were followed by their respective suites lord gustavus and the opposition lords being most conspicuous in that of rosabella and lord edmund in that of elvira the duke and sir ambrose attended by the reverend fathers morris and murphy were amongst the number of spectators the two former feeling too much agitated to allow of their appearing as actors in the scene and the others being from different reasons equally disqualified from taking a part in it all now was silent the tumultuous wave-like heaving of the multitude ceased and every one listened in breathless expectation for the princesses were about to speak it was an awful moment the poor old duke's heart beat almost audibly as he sate his eyes fixed upon the ground not daring to look up and holding the hand of his friend sir ambrose firmly in his own it was rosabella who was to speak first she advanced with a firm decided step and when the attendants drew back the veil that covered her the assembled multitude uttered a shout of admiration at her beauty her dark eyes flashed fire as she proudly surveyed the crowd and anticipated triumph gave an animated glow to her fine features she looked indeed already a queen and seemed born only to command and be obeyed the multitude were awed by her presence and listened with uplifted eyes and the most profound silence whilst she thus addressed them my lords and gentlemen i feel the presumption i am guilty of in thus venturing to address so august an assembly but i trust the magnitude of the occasion that calls me forward may afford an excuse for my temerity i come gentlemen to offer myself to you as your sovereign and the exalted nature of the trust i wish you to repose in me inspires me with courage to deserve it yes gentlemen i say to deserve it for i should consider myself unworthy to be appointed your queen if i were to shrink from performing any of the duties attendant upon the station and one of the most arduous of these do i consider that of thus addressing you i am aware that upon occasions like the present it is usual for the aspiring candidate to promise miracles of reformation that are to be effected upon the obtaining of power i promise nothing of the kind for i will tie myself to no promises elect me for your queen and i will fulfil the duties of my rank according to the best of my own judgment i will not submit to dictation neither will i be censured by my subjects i will be a free independent sovereign or i will remain a subject i scorn to attempt to practise any deception upon you i wish you to see me as i really am and then if you think me worthy of the high office i aspire to 
then at least i may assure you you shall never have reason to blush for your choice nor shall the proud character which england has so long maintained ever suffer a stain upon its glory at my hands no my countrymen haughty as i may be deemed i assure you with sincerity that i have ever held the name of englishwoman as my noblest boast and that i would not relinquish my title to it were kingdoms offered in exchange i can say no more if you approve me as your sovereign your voices will obtain the fulfilment of your wishes if you do not worlds would not tempt me to accept the throne rosabella now sate down amidst thunders of applause whilst acclamations of long live rosabella rent the air these symptoms of approbation were however only produced by her beauty and her commanding manner for when men came to analyse her speech they found much in it to disapprove the haughty manner in which she had disavowed control indeed was neither calculated to win new friends nor secure those she already had as the counsellors who had so warmly supported her cause had certainly not imagined that by doing so they should shut the door of preferment against themselves and what hope of promotion or power could remain during the reign of a queen who had thus openly announced her intention of acting entirely for herself the prejudices of the people too were wounded they had been so accustomed to promises of reformation and relief from taxation upon the ascension of a new sovereign that they were disappointed at not receiving them although they knew from experience that they meant nothing just as a person's fond of flattery cannot live without it though they are well acquainted with its fallacy besides even experience cannot make some people wise and though the hopes of the english had been so often disappointed it was pleasant still to have something held out to them to hope for these thoughts soon arose in the breasts of the multitude and a rising murmur was beginning to swell upon the ear when the assembly was hushed to silence by perceiving lord noodle had risen and was about to address them my lords and gentlemen said he it is with feelings of considerable embarrassment that i rise to address you everything that can be said has been said and everything that has been said ought to have been said and everything that ought to have been said has been said what then can there possibly be left for me to say let it not be supposed however by my saying this that i have nothing to say for myself on the contrary i think everybody must allow that i have said a great deal upon the said subject here the noble lord tittered at his own wit and it was well that he did so as if he had not perhaps nobody might have found it out say what i will however one thing must be clear and that is if i was to speak for an hour i could say no more that is you must have a queen and that you cannot choose a better one than the noble lady who has just sat down and so gentlemen she having finished i think i cannot do better than follow her example 
shouts and roars of laughter followed this speech to the infinite delight of the enlightened orator and he bowed and bowed on all sides till his little head and bobbing periwig seemed to have acquired the gift of perpetual motion no sooner was the tumult a little subsided than elvira came forward to address the people when her veil was removed her agitation was extreme elvira was delicately fair and the eloquent blood spoke in her cheeks in a thousand varying tints for a few seconds she stood her eyes fixed upon the ground apparently endeavoring to collect herself then raising her eyes she seemed on the point of speaking but her courage failing as she surveyed the immense multitude every eye fixed upon her and every ear listening for her words the sounds died upon her lips and after a few ineffectual attempts to speak she buried her face in her veil and sobbed aloud who can describe the agitation of her aged father at this moment when she appeared he had risen and leaning forward listened with a fearful eagerness as though his ear would drink in every syllable and though his own death warrant hung upon her words he became pale as he saw her agitation and his countenance varied with every variation of hers till when he saw her total inability to speak his lips became of livid whiteness he uttered a piercing shriek and fell senseless to the ground a bustle immediately took place the duke was carried off and elvira remained pale trembling and almost fainting leaning against one of the pillars that supported the canopy over the platform upon which she stood an awful pause ensued which was at last broken by lord edmund rushing forward and eagerly addressing the crowd in the following words my friends and countrymen if one spark of kindness and compassion dwells in your breasts if your hearts are open to noble feelings if you can pity defenseless age and helpless womanhood listen to me now hear me while i plead the cause of the timid female now before you who agitated by the solemn occasion for which you are convened and awed by the august majesty of this assembly finds it impossible to give vent to her feelings in words for difficult indeed is it to express by words the strong emotions of the heart oh would to heaven my friends that i could lay her heart open before you that you might read there the love of her country the devotion to your dearest interests and the generous wish to sacrifice her domestic happiness to secure yours that prompt her this day to appear before you do you fear tyranny is this trembling woman likely to impose it do you wish remission from oppression is not she who evidently possesses such extreme sensibility likely to relieve your cares can her breast which now throbs with emotion be ever deaf to the cry of misery no no that gentle spirit which shrinks from exposure in the garish light of day will devote itself to soothing your woes and enlightening your burdens do you wish for victory 
has not my army been hitherto successful am i not devoted to elvira my countrymen i plead not from interested motives god knows i do not nay there may be some among you who know i now plead for the destruction of my dearest hopes but the welfare of my country is more to me than my own i give my country the treasure which might have been mine contented if by the sacrifice of my own happiness i can secure that of thousands my countrymen i cannot more strongly prove my devotion to your interests for if you choose elvira for your queen my widowed heart will have no bride but glory take however the treasure i resign to you prize her as she deserves and heaven in its mercy grant that prudent counsellors and sagacious statements may so direct her steps that victory may shine on her banners wisdom in her counsels and happiness in her kingdom lord edmund stopped overpowered by his own emotions and his agitation found an echo in the bosom of every auditor the effect of his speech was instantaneous cries of elvira shall be our queen elvira for ever rose in deafening tumult from the crowd nor did there appear a single dissentient voice in fact after all that can be said upon the subject feeling is the only true eloquence the passions of the crowd were strongly excited the fainting of the duke the agitation of elvira and the speech of lord edmund who was the hero of the day had absolutely driven them distracted they shouted again and again that elvira and elvira alone should be queen and forming a triumphal car placed her in it and dragged her along to westminster abbey where the ceremony of the coronation was appointed to take place this venerable pile which had stood for centuries and resisted alike the war of nature and the destroying hand of innovation with which the barbarous taste of the middle ages had endeavored to destroy its grandeur shone forth in all its original splendor and afforded another magnificent proof of the length of time the labors of man survive the term of his fragile existence it had been a brilliant sight when westminster hall was crowded with the nobles of the land to choose the council of state but far more splendid was it now when after the religious part of the ceremony of the coronation had been performed in the abbey the trembling and beautiful queen entered its sumptuous walls surrounded by her counsellors and welcomed with transport by her kneeling subjects all had been previously prepared for the ceremony as the ordinance of the old queen had directed the coronation to take place immediately after the election and the venerable hall was now crowded with the nobles and ladies of claudia's court splendidly attired waiting for the queen whom the choice of the deputies might give them with the most eager impatience elvira was received with transports 
and though perhaps under different circumstances her rival might have been honoured with equal rapture, yet, as Elvira knew it not, the thought did not damp her pleasure. In the meantime, Father Morris had remained aghast, a prey to the combined tortures of grief, rage, and disappointment. The crowd had disappeared, yet still he stood gazing upon the platform, the speechless image of despair. "'For heaven's sake, do not remain here!' cried a voice he knew only too well, and obeying the impulse of Marianne's arm, he suffered himself to be led from the scaffold, where all his hopes had perished. There was a small house at no great distance from the spot, where the partisans of Rosabella had held frequent conferences respecting their plans for securing her election, and to this place Marianne led the disappointed friar. "'Curses on the fiend that has betrayed me to my ruin!' said he, as he threw himself upon a sofa in this abode. "'May demons haunt him here, and eternal misery be his portion hereafter!' The fiendish laugh of Cheops rang in the father's ears as he pronounced these words, and ere he finished, the hated form of the mummy stood before him. "'What, Father Morris?' cried the Egyptian. "'Is this the treatment of your friends? Fie! Fie! Is this the strength of your mind? I am ashamed of you!' Is it the part of a man of courage to shrink from such a slight reverse? However, I am still your friend, and if you will follow my advice— Avant, demon! cried Father Morris. Tempt me no more. Ruin hangs upon thy words, and it is thy advice that has destroyed me. Say rather your own evil passions, returned the mummy. Fiend! exclaimed the monk. Was it not by thy advice Rosabella rejected the address I had prepared for her, and determined to deliver her own sentiments extemporaire? Such an expression of her genuine feelings was likely to produce ten times the effect of the studied address. The oration of Lord Edmund was from the feeling of the moment, and you saw its power was magical." And it was not by your desire that the fool Lord Noodle seconded her instead of Lord Gustavus, as I had intended? A ridiculous fool was more likely to put the people in good humor than a prosing one. Yes, yes, I know. It was thus you made your plans seem feasible. But how have they succeeded? Success is not always the test of merit. How could I foresee the fainting of the Duke, and the agitation of Elvira? That timid silence said far more for her than words. If she had spoken, she would have had no chance. Would she were dead, said Father Morris, grinding his teeth. So would you seal your ruin. Rosabella would be suspected, and her chance of reigning destroyed, destroyed for ever. What shall I do? Let Elvira reign. Nay, start not. It will be but for a time. She will naturally make Edmund her first counsellor from gratitude for the service he has rendered her, and, as he has sense and talent, 
he will as naturally either decline employing the noble lords who were your friends entirely or at best give them but subordinate situations their hopes having been previously raised they will feel this disappointment bitterly and look back with longing eyes to rosabella by whom they were promised place and power that princess must moderate her natural haughtiness if she wish to reign she must submit to bend before she rise for though ambition be the most lofty of all passions perhaps no one makes its votaries occasionally condescended to greater meanness at present patience alone is required novelty is always delightful but the pleasure it produces never can be lasting and the expectations of men having been raised too high by the brilliancy with which a new government is certain to commence they will soon be disposed to quarrel with everything which may chance to fall short of the standard they will then propose to themselves though this same standard if they give themselves time to consider they would find far too exalted for mortals to have ever any hopes of reaching their extravagant expectations not being realized they will then plunge into the opposite extreme they will see everything with jaundiced eyes and not liking to own they were deceived they will overturn the government of elvira to conceal for ever the folly they have been guilty of but will not the government of rosabella afterwards share the same fate no for they will have learnt wisdom by experience and having just suffered from the inconveniences inseparable from a revolution they will idolize every word and action of rosabella to spare themselves the necessity again of undergoing the same horrors and yet avoid the charge of inconsistency they will thus fear even to censure and will gloss over anything that may not quite please them rather than run the risk of again interrupting that tranquillity which the late disturbance has made them taste the sweets of the sophistry of cheops was well suited to the feelings of his hearers and well did he know how to work upon the passions of those he conversed with the indignation of father morris and marianne subsided and they again became the egyptians devoted slaves cheops watched them as they retired a smile of derision curling from his haughty lips fools that they are said he again as a fearful expression flashed across his saturnine countenance by typhon they are scarcely worth deceiving for they rush blindfolded into the net in the meantime nothing could exceed the grandeur of the scene exhibiting in westminster hall the ceremony was finished for the queen had taken oaths of fidelity to the interests of her new subjects and had received their humblest homage in return a sumptuous banquet was now served where all that could please the eye mingled in luxuriant profusion with all that could tempt the appetite 
music completed the charm and as the harmonious notes swelled through the lofty dome it seemed a choir of angels rejoicing from on high thus while all that could gratify the senses was combined the fairy loveliness of elvira seemed to fit her well to be the goddess of the scene and the figure of the poor old duke her father gazing at her with indescribable rapture the tears trickling down his furrowed cheeks and his long white hair hanging loose upon his shoulders completed the interest of the picture great and glorious was the triumph of elvira but whilst the nation rang with acclamations of joy and bonfires and illuminations proclaimed the transport of the people who shall paint the despair the desolation of the unfortunate rosabella forlorn and deserted by her friends despised and injured by him she loved disappointed in the fairy dreams of her ambition and disgusted with a world that had rejected her what could she do where find a refuge from her woes rosabella sought no refuge wretched as she was her proud spirit still supported her she neither retired from society nor gave herself up to the paroxysms of despair hers was not a mind to brood over useless grief she felt her wrongs it is true and most keenly did she feel them but she wasted not her time in lamentation and burnt only to avenge them marianne had communicated to her the advice of cheops and her whole soul was now devoted to revenge for this she determined to obey his injunctions to bend her haughty spirit to his wishes to conciliate the friends that had deserted her and to submit to any meanness to keep up a party in the state this done she resolved to watch for the errors unavoidable in a new government to take advantage of every weakness and forment every discontent in short to open a chasm under her rival's feet and then like the lion pismire on the brink of his sandy trap to rest concealed until the entanglement of the expected prey enabled her to rush upon and destroy it elvira's disposition was naturally noble and satisfied with the possession of the throne she sought no farther triumph her generous soul was touched by the apparent resignation of her rival and she endeavoured by every means in her power to console her for her disappointment the duke now resided entirely in town but upon rosabella elvira with the utmost delicacy conferred a palace and a separate establishment notwithstanding the delicacy with which elvira's favours were conferred rosabella could not forget that they were favours and hers was not a mind to brook dependence her hatred for her cousin thus increased with the weight of her obligations whilst that of elvira had vanished with the occasion that gave it birth it is indeed scarcely possible for a proud haughty temper like that of rosabella to love the person to whom it owes everything 
such dispositions find infinitely more pleasure in obliging than in being obliged pride being gratified in one case and humbled in the other people are thus often devotedly attached to their protégés as they seem in some measure creations of their own and lavish favors upon them with a profuse hand but they often expect such devotion in return that love withers into slavery or changes into hatred and what was once gratitude soon becomes mortification elvira had an arduous part to sustain it was difficult to find the medium between giving too much or too little and more difficult still to discover a means of giving at all without hurting the feelings of rosabella the sense she had of this rendered the manner of elvira towards her cousin occasionally cold and restrained and rosabella felt acutely the slightest change she indeed saw everything with a jaundiced eye she imagined insults where none were intended she shrank from the slightest observation which could be supposed to allude to her present situation and she appeared to feel so much pain whenever she was in the society of elvira that the intercourse between the cousins gradually dwindled to a mere formal interchange of visits and the customary ceremonials of court etiquette the cousins thus completely estranged from each other rosabella's palace became the resort of the discontented the king of ireland had died shortly before the election of elvira and those malcontents formerly in his pay being repulsed by his son now crowded round rosabella men of talents but of dissolute habits daring spirits that preyed upon themselves for want of employment and desperate characters to whom every change was agreeable and they had nothing to lose and everything to hope for by a revolution vied with each other in devoting themselves to her service it was often grating to rosabella's feelings to associate with wretches such as these but to what cannot proud spirits sometimes submit to gain the determined purpose of their souls everything is swallowed up in one vast overwhelming passion and minor difficulties are neither seen thought of nor felt thus rosabella scrupled not to waste her time in the society of such beings as lord noodle and his friend lord doodle she even stooped to flatter them and occasionally to ask and appear to follow their advice she endured patiently the dictatorial prosing of lord gustavus and listened with an appearance of interest to the wearisome pettiness of lord maysworth all she thought of was whether any particular line of conduct were likely to conduce to placing her on the throne and if it were be it what it might the haughty rosabella instantly condescended to practise it taught by the late events not to rely too confidently upon her own strength she rushed into the opposite extreme and descended even unto servility in the meantime the attention of elvira was completely devoted to the establishment of her government she had many qualities worthy of her rank 
and some of the most conspicuous were her nobleness in forgetting injuries and her inflexible sense of justice thus though she had made no promises herself to her people on the day of her election she justly considered those made by edmund on her part as equally binding and endeavoured by every means in her power to redeem the pledges he had given cheops had judged rightly in supposing she would make edmund her prime minister her gratitude to him indeed was unbounded and though her noble and generous disposition prevented her depriving the lords who had voted against her of their dignities yet that the strong mind and commanding genius of edmund would make them dwindle into nonentities he had also been equally correct in predicting the noble lords quite unconscious of their own inefficiency were indignant at finding themselves subalterns where they had hoped to be commanders and rallied round the standard of rosabella who on her part received them so graciously that her former haughtiness was forgotten elvira was not aware of their defection or if she were she thought them too insignificant to merit notice her attention being entirely occupied in affairs which she considered of infinitely more importance though the laws of the old queen had been excellent many abuses had crept into the manner of putting them into execution and these elvira now with the aid of edmund set herself diligently to work to discover and correct she could not have chosen an assistant more competent to the task the penetrating mind and commanding genius of edmund were unequalled with a single glance he saw where errors had been committed and how they ought to be amended whilst under his auspices vice was punished and virtue rewarded goodness though in rags was raised to affluence and villainy compelled to disgorge its ill-gotten wealth justice was impartially dispensed to all and the first monday in every month the queen proceeded in solemn state to the grand square at blackheath to receive there in person the petitions of her subjects the crowd assembled upon these occasions was immense however well a constitution may be organized it is impossible to give satisfaction to every one and even under the best regulated governments there will always be some who fancy themselves aggrieved besides as free access was allowed on these occasions to every one numbers went merely to see the queen and nothing could be better contrived for letting her majesty know the real feelings of her subjects than this arrangement as from the people being placed in lines along each of which the queen walked she became alternately in personal contact with every separate individual like everything else however that sounds perfect in theory difficulties arose when this plan came to be put in practice it was originally intended that the queen should receive with her own hands and read herself all the petitions that might be presented but when it was found their numbers frequently amounted to some thousands 
this scheme was abandoned as impracticable, and the lords Noodle and Doodle were appointed to the important office of walking behind the queen, carrying large bags in which the petitions were deposited, and from which they would probably never again have emerged if they had not been dragged to the light by the persevering and if they had not been dragged to light by the persevering and indefatigable exertions of Lord Edmund. The people, however, were not aware of this and there was something in the show that delighted them. It was indeed a fine sight to behold so many hundreds of human beings, anxiously watching the movements of their beautiful queen as she glided along their ranks, smiling graciously upon all, and looking like an angel sent upon earth to dispense blessings to mankind. Ladies of honor walking behind her, pages bearing her train, and the two aged counsellors of state, bending beneath the weight of their ponderous bags, bringing up the rear. Thus gloriously commenced Elvira's reign. The people, delighted with the attention paid to their wishes, and struck by some instances of the queen's love of justice and hatred of oppression, lauded her to the skies. The nobility, hoping riches and power from her liberality, almost worshipped her, and the ambassadors of foreign powers, dreading the valour of Lord Edmund and his soldiers, offered the humblest homage at her feet. In short, all seemed to smile upon her, and the kingdom to bid fair shortly to rival even the imagined happiness of Utopia itself. End of chapter 6, volume 2